Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at it again. I hope you're ready for the next episodes in the Bob Bickford presidential suite here in Atlanta. I'm getting to record several episodes, space them out over time. Yeah. And we have some really high quality guests with us here in Atlanta. We do, Jimbo. This is the AMS Replant Practitioner Lab 2022 edition. And we have one of our guests who has joined us during this event in previous years. And in fact, he is one of the founders, creators, developers of the very first initial Replant Practitioner Lab. It's none other than Keelan Cook. Keelan Cook, not Keenan Cook, <laughs> not Kenan Cook. <laughs> I get Kellen quite a bit too. Kellen, not Kellen. I was waiting for that one too. We were yep. in a text message thread with somebody else the other day, and I think he said your name wrong three different times. I three think that was right, yeah. Is Keelan a family name? Is it a... No, not at all. Not at all. So the story behind my name, my mom used to work at a bank, and apparently one of the kids that used to bring in his mom's like deposit or something his name was keelan and so she liked it and asked him if she could use it and that's where my name came wow. that's awesome you're named after a kid who ran errands for his mother that's, a, that's the it. bank that's it yeah yeah somewhat anticlimactic or or it wasn't his mom that was just the front and he was actually working for the mom could have been that, that could be it too that's a possibility we could go with that story and then it, it sounds a little better yeah I like that version. Yeah. yeah. So so Keelan is one of our favorite missiologists for a while. He was the original missiologist on the boot camp, the OG missiologist. We have since added two missiologists to our repertoire. So you're not the only one anymore. Deep bench now, man. We've got a deep bench. So we've got, and one of them has two doctorates. That's double doc, Josh Dreyer. That is too rich for my blood, man. Yeah. And 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 here's if you get to know him, here's what you're going to learn. Not only does he have two doctorates, he has four master's degrees and one of them is in aeronautical engineering sounds like he's got a problem honestly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is this guy just like collecting the things or you what know, double doc does he's a, he's a faithful listener he is so <laughs> he, he, he has a thing he says he, he he says it just took that many degrees yeah, or something many for him to get it no he is he is brilliant and then we added a third missiologist recently dr casey the chin williams I call him that. Casey and I have been friends for uh, over 20 years, and he has the best Jay Leno chin hmm. uh, I've ever seen. And so he disguises it well in a beard. He hides it in a beard these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Casey's also a faithful listener, and I love him as well. So now that we have three missiologists, we wanted to take this opportunity to have you follow up. One, just update us, Mr. Missiologist. You were at UBA in Houston. You have now entered academia. Yeah, that's right. So I recently, six, seven months ago, my wife and I picked up stakes from Houston and we moved back to uh, Wake Forest, North Carolina, where Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is. And I'm now serving as the associate director there for our missions center at the school. And I'm on faculty as a missions professor now. So That's awesome. And there's also a podcast, right? That you yeah, do. we do. We have a podcast there. It's called The Scent Life. Yeah. Uh, and it is, it's basically kind of 
missions for people in the trenches. Yeah. It's really the purpose of that one. Nice. It's yeah. the one that I listen to when I'm washing my car outside on a Saturday. There you go. I like that. That's a niche. I, it, I'm going to listen to that podcast when I'm washing the car. Excellent. I, I like that. I don't, I mean, what is that? Is there a reason that that's when you choose? I think I've listened to all the other podcasts for the rest of the week, and that one's my Saturday washing the car podcast. And so you have like a day for each podcast? Pretty much like a day for my clothes. My there you go. My yeah. Socks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Roast beef on Mondays, you know, fried chicken on Sunday. If <laughs> anything, he is orderly. <laughs> Keep things where they belong. That's it. Yeah. Every podcast a place. There you go. <laughs> So Casey, when he was on with us, we were talking about uh, missional understanding and diverse context, and he brought up something we really loved, where he talked about one of the errors that a lot of guys make is they start with methodology, and inst- whereas he said, instead of starting with methodology, what we should start with is theology, let the theology then be paired with missiology of our context, and let that inform our methodology so as the original missiologist to the boot camp what is your do you you concur yes (laughs) yeah that's so that's that's right we have this habit of doing whatever works in the moment Mm -hmm. and then trying to find biblical or theological justification for it what shocker right and that's exactly backwards to what we really need to be doing. We need to be ground in what Scripture tells us, and it's the biblical witness. That's that's the the soil from which our method should flow. Yeah. And now it's to, to be fair, it's more of a circle. It's gonna once you move in one direction, it comes back and it shapes and it forms better the way you understand mm-hmm. the biblical witness. And yeah. so it's it's more of a spiral in the way that we would do that. But yeah, yeah that's absolutely right. You need to move from Scripture from text in the context instead of the other way on that one. So one of the modern movements amongst young guys is to be very theological, right? So whereas some people may make the error, like Casey was talking about, is starting with methodology. Mm -hmm. Is there an error of just theology or too much on theology? What would that error be? Yeah, so I think... I think a better way to say it is probably not that you can have too much theology. It's kind of like saying too much Bible. Is, right. is there such a thing, right? Yeah, can, it, it can felt we get weird, too much Bible? It felt yeah, weird saying it out loud. Um, but your point, I think your point lands. And I think the issue is having one without the other. So we were given scripture for a reason, right? Yeah. And that reason is faith and practice. It's supposed to change who we are. It's gives us an understanding of who God is and who we are, but it also requires something of us. Mm -hmm. And we're misusing scripture and we're misusing theology if it doesn't lead to orthopraxy, if it doesn't lead to right practice in our lives. And so you've stopped short if you don't get to healthy application. So one of the things that I struggled with when I was pastoring is I think not the too much theology, because that's not the right way to word that. Yeah, yeah. But what I realized is I was preaching missions, right? I, I'm a, I love missions. I thought I was going to be a foreign missionary. And then God called me into replanting. Sometimes I wish he still would have called me into yeah, foreign right. missions instead. <laughs> and so I would preach missions. I would get people excited about it. And people were struggling with it. And they, they didn't like, they, they didn't dislike what I was saying. And they were trying to give me feedback, and I couldn't ever understand what the feedback was they were trying to give me until finally somebody said to me, 
man, you've gotten me really excited about being missional. Mm. I just have no idea what to do with that. Right. Right. And so I realized I was not give. I wasn't, I was giving theology and theologically informed missiology, but I just skipped methodology and just was like, just figure it out. Just love Jesus enough to do it. Right. And so one of my mentors, Bob Bumgarner, taught me that 85% of people do not have the cognitive capacity to take abstract thought and turn it into concrete next steps. If a pastor is trying to embed missiological culture that's theologically grounded, that results in actionable methodology, how, how would we cultivate that culture into a church? Yeah, so culture change in a church, man, If I, there are a lot of questions I get asked a lot. And how do I change the culture of a church is probably one of the top four or five that I get on a regular basis. I mean, this is a replant boot camp, right? So we're all sitting here having conversations about how do we how do we turn a corner in yeah. a church? How do I get these people to... Right, that, yeah. yeah. How do I get these people to X? Yeah. And the simple answer is, well, you need a culture that does that in the church culture's not there yet. Well, how do we how do we turn a corner on it? So there's a bunch to that issue. But one of the things that I think we've really got to step back and think about for a minute is that desire and affections of the heart have a whole lot more to do with culture than we often want to say when we're trying to come up with a way out of something. So the answer that people are looking for when they ask the question, how do I get people to do fill in the blank, is usually what program can I institute? What book can I give them? What's the magic way I could word something yeah. that mm-hmm. makes them want to do? So they're they're looking for some kind of concrete, usually knowledge-based step. If I just had the right vision statement, yes, then <laughs> if, if I could just get that right vision statement, then everybody's going to become missionaries. That's right. Uh, Fifteen thousand dollars to get the right vision. Statement. Yeah, that's it. That's it. There are a number of places that will take your money and give you the mission statement. Yeah. And, and for some reason, frequently, unless it's met with new desires in your church, it's really not going to turn into anything, is it? Yeah. But how do you get somebody to desire something? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's the right way to consider this. How do we, so let's take, you know, there's any number of issues. We want our church to be ascending church. We want our church to be involved in community outreach. We want our church to fill in the blank. Anything that we've come up with after we've done this renewal process, what you want them to grow a love for what you're after. Now, this issue, it's there's all kinds of ways to talk about growing desire, but there are two at least that I think are really worth mentioning, and it's two that kind of anybody could start with, right? So one of those is uh, what I tend to refer to as an integrity of message. So here's what I mean by that, because that's a really weird way to put it. You want to make sure, as a church, that the message you're sending is the same no matter where it's coming from. Mm. So that's what I mean by integrity. Like, So the message coming from the pulpit is the same as the message coming from the water cooler. Otherwise, what you wind up doing is you send dissonant messages. You have it speaking in one direction one time and another direction the other time and they actually contradict each other. And so you think, oh, we're saying it this way. But you've got something that's eroding that very same message speaking in a different direction. Uh, and so if you can think through how to align those messages to where they're all saying the same thing, then you have that unified voice in the church that's necessary to start developing the affections of your congregation. You help them start seeing a love or developing a love for a thing. I think that is a, a real big piece of it. 
it reminds me of a conversation that I have with my wife on a regular basis. And my wife is really into like eating clean and organic and, you know, farm to table. And she, you know, we order, you know, pampered chickens that are, you know, guarded by a great Pyrenees dog and, you know, all of these sorts of things. And so I'll tell her something like, you know, yeah, I really want to eat healthy. And then I'll have a bag of potato chips. Yeah. And she calls me out on it every time. Yep. And, and so here, here's the deal. Like I love, eat, you know, I love the potato chips, but then after I eat them, I feel really crappy. Right. Right. So, sure. and she, she, she's like a food Pharisee, honestly. She's she listen to this. She's, she listens every week. So she'll call me out on this. She'll come in. I'll be in my office and, and she will have listened to this. She'll come in and raise an eyebrow at me, mm. but. She's going to throw a bag of chips yeah, in your lap, isn't Yeah, she? well, she's not going to throw a bag of chips on me. Maybe <laughs> kale chips. But there she'll, you go. But she'll she'll just call that out and go, if you really want to be this, then you have to do something different. Yeah, that's absolutely right. When I talk to people about message integrity in a church, I tend to, in most churches, you've actually got kind of at least three, but I'd say typically three lanes that you really need to think in as far as your messaging is concerned. You've got kind of a high level or I'll say a macro lane. You've got this smallest level, call it a micro lane, if you will. And you've got this mid lane that kind of sits in the middle. So here's what I mean when I say that macro level is communication messaging that you send out that can kind of hit the whole church at once. I think broadcast messaging. This is your pulpit and your corporate worship service. This is the website. It's a newsletter that you may send. It's social media that's coming out of the church. So that's kind of all broadcast level, macro level conversation. Most pastors think that that space is sufficient to get a message across. Mm -hmm. That's where most everyone turns. But there's two other levels to messaging in a church that often go neglected and very often send a contradictory message. Your mid-level, think Sunday school classes or small groups, right? This is groupings of people in the church, maybe a youth group. It's groupings of people in the church that aren't the whole, but they're usually led by somebody. And that somebody is going to be giving a particular message about something. And so if you are trying to develop a desire for outreach, we'll say, and you are preaching on it on a regular basis, and then your Sunday school teacher every week is speaking against why it's important for you all to be out doing evangelism. Yes. They're hearing him or her as much as they're hearing you. And they're hearing him or her in a more intimate setting than they're hearing you. And they have relational history with often in a replant yeah. or a revitalization. The 30 year Sunday school teacher's got a whole lot more Absolutely. relational history and influence than you do. Yeah, there's more chips. Yeah. And, uh, and they're spending them and getting more for their money than yeah. you are with your sermon every week, even though you feel like mine's the weightier message, right? And then that final level is water cooler talk, right? It's the one-on-one, that micro level. Think about coffee in the foyer. What kind of conversations are just happening interpersonally between people in the church? Or if you will, uh, lunch after the sermon on Sunday, right? Like what happens in that moment when, you know, two or three people go out to lunch after the service? If we're mindful of all three levels, and one, we try to understand what's happening in each, but then we work to align them we, we start seeing some momentum develop because we're saying the same thing in all three lanes and you can start developing a desire around something. So how would you do that? Because I, I can't control what people say after church and go to lunch. And I can try to control what my Sunday school teacher says. <laughs> Just shut right? it all down. <laughs> Stop it. But, but I can't. I mean, I can't. I mean, I can. I can. 
we could talk about what you're going to teach and, mm-hmm. and those sorts of things, and we can align all of those yeah. things. But what do you do to try to make sure that all those things are aligned? So I think step one is figure out what in the world is happening at each of those three levels. Mm -hmm. So that's step one, right? Mm -hmm. I know know that for sure what happens from that macro level is not enough because when I was a pastor, I would feel like we've announced this upcoming outreach event 1,700 times. Right. That's happening this Saturday. And then I would be like, Hey, babe, are you good for this Saturday? And she'd be like, what's this Saturday? Yeah. And that's what you like to do, Bob. Yeah. And be like, what do you mean? It, have you not heard anything I've just said? It's like an application point in three sermons. It was like, it was in the announcements and it was everything, right? And yeah. so I, you can't communicate things enough. Yeah, you can't. So get to know right. what's being said on yep. the, in the middle and lower level. Then how do you influence and and help make sure those are aligned? So when it comes to that mid-tier, it's really important that you develop the kind of relational capital. This so this is not a quick fix, by the way. A lot of people, when we talk about culture change, you're looking for some kind of silver What's bullet, right? Provide on replant boot camps. Quick, quick fixes. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong room. Food tips, quick quick fixes. That in fact, that could be your slug line, right? Yeah. Food tips and quick fixes. There you yeah, go. that's it. Replant boot camp. Come here for your quick. Nothing fix. about replanting. Just <laughs> yeah, right. Food. Um, quick fixes. So there are no silver bullet solutions here, right? Like yeah. you're not going to sit down. And you're not going to have one meeting with your Sunday school leaders and say, "Now you guys need to make sure you're saying the exact same thing I'm saying." That's a real fast way to mutiny. In fact, in a replant. Yeah. yeah. So you can't do it that way. So say that one more time, because <laughs> right there's you guys that need to hear that. Yeah. For those in the back, you can't walk into your Sunday school room full of Sunday school teachers and say, y'all have got to just do what I want you to do. That's not going to happen. Yeah. You're going to be met with resistance that way. So instead, you've got to, one, develop the kind of relationship with them where, where they will speak freely with you about what they're speaking freely with about in their Sunday school class. Yeah. And that's hard. Yeah. But it, it takes some sweat equity here. It takes some some transparency on your part. It takes giving them a clear vision of your hopes and desires for the church as well. So the first group, when you're trying to speak a message that you need to develop desire with is in fact the leaders of that middle tier. If you can start developing desire there, now there's a couple of ways to do that, right? One way is getting them on board with, with the vision. The other way is through attrition of leaders. Maybe some of these people need to be sunset at some point. And sometimes we got to deal with both of those things. Well, so as a guy who is named after a mobster, <laughs> when you say sunset, <laughs> what exactly do you mean? I'm talking about cement shoes, man, in the bay. <laughs> no, um, blessed in the sight of the Lord are the death of his saints. And so you're just, you're saying, Lord, make some folks blessed. This has gone to a dark place. I was I, I was really just meaning find a way to get them out of the Sunday school role. I, that's, all, that's, all. that's it. Okay. That's all I was talking okay. about. Right. Quick fixes. I mean, come on. <laughs> I know a guy. I was believed at that. All right. He fixes things. Yeah, so there's some, sometimes you may have to have a moment where you need to change some of the people in those roles. Now, there's a whole ball of wax around that one that's tough too, right? Like yeah. how in the world do you, do you transition out people that are in middle tier leadership? But there's something important about understanding that the stuff coming out of that lane really matters. If you as a pastor think my main corporate service is going to wash over whatever's happening in my Sunday school classes in a church, you are mistaken. Let me just give a practical tip here. This was a mistake that I think I made in the the replant that was really hard. So we we have a lot of that going on in our mid-level. 
And this, they, they would tell me, so they got honest. One of the things you said is really key. You got to get to the place where they'll tell you what they're actually doing in Sunday school. Yeah. So my folks were, were already there, right? And they were saying, well, we just kind of catch up on all the gossip for about 30 minutes, and then we might read the, the Bible mm. study, right? And so what was happening is the, the changes were increasing, the gossip was increasing, and the Bible study was yeah. increasing. And so I thought, well, let's just shut this down and bring everybody together for a study. And that was a disaster. Sure. Because sure we, it was. we took away their platform, their turf, their domain. Mm-hmm. Some guys I've heard talk about that. Well, we just need to shut all the Sunday schools down and bring everybody together. I think in some cases that's good. Sure. In our case, it wasn't. So I just want to add that caution. But you're really talking about a group of leaders who are entrenched in paradigms. Mm -hmm. And I would also say this. They've been discipled in the culture of the church, Baptistic culture, Sunday school culture, whatever. But it's been a deficient disciple. That's right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And to, to be very clear here, let me underscore this again. I'm not saying in some draconian sense, control the message in Sunday school. Mm -hmm. Because what that'll lead you to do is try to clamp your hands around it. And when there is resistance, snuff it. And that actually is going to work against your cause. We're talking, I mean, if we'll remember, we're talking about developing desire, right? So this is about persuasion. This is not about I'm going to, in some totalitarian sense, come over and use my positional authority to tell them what they're going to say. That's not what we're after here. You're on a mission with that level of mid-tier communicators in your church to let those be your your first ambassadors for what you're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. Now, that's hard. That they're they're often already very committed to what was. But we're talking about persuasion here. We want to pull them into a setting and a situation where they all they start to desire. And in doing so, they start to become that advocate mm-hmm. in a sense. So one of the things that I think is real helpful here, there's a lot of, I mean, there's tons of research out there on learning and learning theories and some of those kind of things. And some of the most recent research that I've ran across, just in my own personal study on this, deals with experiential learning. And one of the quotes that I found very significant in some of that research here recently, it's in a book called Transforming Theological Education. So it's actually talking about the academy, but it, it's got a ton of play in the church as well, referring to this idea of experiential learning and the, the fellow, the guy that wrote it, his name's Shaw. So Shaw says this, people are more likely to behave their way into thinking than think their way into behaving. All right, say that one more time. All right, so people are more likely to behave their way into thinking than think their way into behaving. Okay, so what would that look like? So if we're talking integrity and message, that's one thing. The next thing that I really think is important is this idea of experiential learning in general. So we want our message saying the same thing, but we also want people to develop desire by doing we're all familiar with the phrase learn by doing, right? But we tend to be really weighted in the States toward this kind of head knowledge, cognitive way about thinking through things. And so when we find a problem, we think the solution is knowledge. And so we want to pour knowledge on it. And we, we want to go find a book or we want to go find some method or some training program, something to that effect. And if we can change the way people think, then we'll change the way they act. So thinking is upstream of acting in the way that we tend to 
put this stuff together. But most good research on learning theory right now says that's actually the reverse. So like when Jesus sends his disciples out two by two. You got it. Okay. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if we reverse our order in the way we think about things, we don't just learn head knowledge by doing. Mm-hmm. We also develop our affections by doing. Mm-hmm. And there are a ton of places where we realize that that application is true in our own life. How many of us started a thing in fear or anxiety that we actually loved starting, like we love doing after we learned how to do it and started doing things like swimming or riding a bicycle or something to that effect. Okay, I think I'm walking down this trail with you. Okay. And I, I've heard you talk about some things before, which I think, well, let me run down this trail. And, and I think, well, you'll probably say yes and amen. But um, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, the old Baptist program of visitation, mm-hmm. go to the door, knocking on yeah. doors, that sort of thing. And if there was a thing that I hated most in baptistic life, it was Tuesday night visitation, sure. right? Because it was just like, are they home? They're not home. It's dinner. They think you're a Mormon, like, et cetera, right? I mean, it's just, you know. But what we're seeing, though, was the discipline of going and speaking to someone about their life and sharing your Jesus story would sometimes lead to an experience where somebody would have a conversion experience. They would come mm-hmm. to faith. And then those people will come back and be incredibly fired up. Yep. Right. And so one of the things we say, but we don't give a vehicle to do is share your Jesus story with somebody. And when somebody does, and then somebody comes to Christ, when they come back, I mean, they are fired up. Right. So we've lost that, I think, as as a people. Yeah, I think that's right. And so you're nailing the head. I think evangelism and outreach is one of the areas where it's clearest to see this, I think, in the way we do churches. Because so uh, here we are, we're in a fresh context as a new pastor, replant, church plant, new whatever, right? I'm here. I'm new. This church needs to be evangelizing more. I've never met a guy that said my church evangelizes too much, right? <laughs> so we, we should be doing this more. Yeah. And so what does he do? He pulls the church together and says, we're going to care about this a lot. Everybody come here on X date, and I'm going to teach you three circles. I'm going to teach you four spiritual laws. I'm going to teach you something, okay, right? Yeah. And so, and they're all good. Yeah, absolutely great tools. And we pull everybody together for two or three hours at the church building, and we walk them through the materials. At best, we have them practice on each other, right? Mm-hmm. At best. And then we free them to do whatever they would, would do. And nothing seems to happen. Yeah. <laughs> and then giving people a thousand dollar gift card to Home Depot and letting them buy whatever they want, and then they never use the tools. Yeah, that's, that's exactly what yeah. it is. And and the the thing about it is, we started with the knowledge of how. Yeah. And the knowledge of how doesn't develop necessarily the desire to do. Mm. And that's really what we're after. So instead, what if we reverse the way we did that? What if we, in the fashion of old visitation, said, yeah. you know, we're actually going to take you people and we're going to stick you in front of some strangers and we're going to have you talk to them. And we're going to have you talk to them about Jesus. And we're going to do it in such a way that, you know, some of them aren't going to be interested. But there's going to be one, just by odds, that actually has some questions to ask you. And they start asking back and you're gonna now suddenly develop a desire real quick to know how to do. Mm -hmm. Because you're gonna say to yourself, oh, I have now experienced not being able to answer questions about my faith. Mm -hmm. And so 
they're now going to come to a training about three circles with a very different experience in mind because mm. they've had that simple act of trying to do that develops a desire for the knowledge later. Maybe when it comes to trying to develop culture in our churches, we need to think in a love by doing way instead of if I just teach them enough stuff, they're going to feel confident enough to go do it on their own. Mm. I love it. It's, it's, it makes me think of when Clifton says, we do block parties not to get the community to come inside of our church, but to get our church to go out into the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, I, I've taken that line and used that with so many churches to say, I mean, if you want to do block party, that's great. I did block parties, but let's define the win clearly here, right? The, the win isn't how many people can we get to start coming to our church? The win is, are you getting your people actively into the community? Are they having conversations? Are they praying for people? Are they sharing the gospel with people and getting it actually into action? Man, there's so much we could dive into here. We have run past our time to dive much further, but we'll bring you back and talk more about this, this idea, because this is not an easy topic to tackle in one episode. Absolutely. We appreciate you coming on. Certainly, man. It's always a joy. Love being with you guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E, E-I-G-H-T-Y dot church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.